Uh, go ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with. Jot down a few things as we study God's Word uh, this morning. Or, of course, I tell you every week, you can pull up the Victory Church app uh, in any app store that you have. And you can have a fill-in-the-blank version. Just click on today's message. There's a fill-in-the-blank version of all the notes and verses uh, that we will cover today. And so if you don't like to write, but you do like to type with your thumbs, that's an awesome opportunity for you. Uh, Otherwise, if you just want to jot down whatever you'd like to write, go ahead and do that as well. Um, And just want to bless you with that. Uh, We're in a standalone Sunday today. So if you're new with us, uh, we as a church love to study the Bible all throughout the year in series based around uh, a particular book of the Bible or a character or a topic, just do our series around that. But time to time, uh, between the series, we have what we call standalone Sundays, where it's a message that's not really connected to the Sunday before or the Sunday after, um, but just a standalone Sunday. That's what today is all about. So we finished up our Back to the Basics series last Sunday, uh, and then we'll start a brand new series next Sunday. But today uh, is just a standalone Sunday. I Honestly, I love to use these as kind of like reminder Sundays. I think it's good on our Christian journey and on our walk uh, to have these moments where we just remind ourselves of some of the tenets of the faith. So we talk about hope and prayer and love and all these things. And so today I want to talk a little bit about the subject of faith. Because I think, um, honestly, in my mind, I'm like, I talk about faith all the time. But I went back and looked and it's been a couple of years since we actually centered a Sunday just around the topic of faith. We cover it in passing all of the time. If you've noticed this in the church world, we say things like, and that is so important to your life of faith. And it's important that you know this because you're on a journey of faith. And if you just had this, it would really build your faith. But we don't really talk about what faith actually is. So I thought we'd have the conversation this morning uh, and just have on a standalone Sunday, just have a reminder about our faith. Not any kind of like passing comments or things. We're really going to hit it dead on. And so I thought if we're going to start this thing, the first thing we have to talk about is what is faith? Can you like tell me what it is? And this is birthed out of uh, several conversations that I've had in the last few months. Um, Honestly, last year alone, I had several conversations through very different circumstances, each one, where it would come up with this topic of then what is faith or other questions about it that we'll touch on a little later in the sermon. But I thought we would just start here at the beginning. Like, can you describe to me what it is? And I think the answer might surprise you. A little bit. It might not be exactly what you expect. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. uh, We taught out of this chapter before. This is the faith chapter. And so chapter 11, verse 1 is going to be kind of our guiding text throughout the Sunday. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And we'll get to all of the supporting content. But first, I just want to focus in on this word faith. Now, the word in the Greek New Testament used for this word is the same word used throughout the entire. Every time you see the word faith, it's the same word used. And it's this idea. It's this this word that means trust with the implication that actions would follow that trust. And so when we talk about faith, we talk about a trust. We talk about uh, putting our trust in something. That's faith. But it's a word in the Greek that means There's an implication there that there would be actions tied to the trust that we are putting. There would be something that imagine relying on something to the point that you would then take other actions because of that reliance. That's the simplest way I can put it. So you have something that you trust. You trust that the chair will hold you when you sit down. So after worship, you were willing to sit on it because you trusted that it would hold you. That is the actions that follow. 
You trust that your car would start when you go to work in the morning. So you get up at the very last second that you could possibly get up to make it to work just in time to by the skin of your teeth. You trust though that your car in the sequence of those things is going to work. It's going to start. And so then you put that trust by then waking up later. And I'm saying to do that. I'm just saying that's the analogy for you and your trust. It's the trust that you would actually do something because you rely on it. All right, so we started off. That's the so James chapter two actually echoes um, this thought about it. So James, if you've ever read this, you think James is talking about a different kind of faith that James is just talking, but he's actually using the exact same word. He's he's letting us in on this idea of what it actually means. He says, "Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead." Watch this. Watch what he says to them. But someone will say, "You have faith, and I have all the action." You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by the things that I do, by my deeds. In other words, he's saying it it can't really happen apart from that. He's like faith, if it's actual faith, can't be kind of just separated or divorced from the actions that follow. He says the word itself, the implication is that we would then take action based on our trust. That we would have this faith. And then we would take actions that actually, um, actually, see, you're saying it doesn't exist without these things. So the argument scripture is making here is our faith has to translate. And I, I come across this so often because of the way that we interpret the word faith. And we have everybody's got their own thing. They run in seven different directions. But honestly, faith is not faith until it goes from this belief system. And it actually translates into a life that we're living. I think we like faith as this ideology that's kind of out in the void somewhere, but it's actually translated as an action word. This idea of faith that tangibly impacts the way that we live our daily life. Because if you study the words of Jesus, if you look at all the things he taught during his ministry here on earth, you study scripture just in general, you will come to the realization that there is a different life we're supposed to lead. Like there's a different way that we're supposed to live our lives. Honestly... And I laughed when I was prepping this message. Honestly, it's a life that doesn't make sense to live unless you believe what the Bible says is true. Like there's there's verses that talk about this, that people who try to live the life that the Bible says without actually believing what it says, that makes no sense to do. The life we are called to live, and we can be honest about this, a lot of the principles of the kingdom of God make no sense unless you actually believe what the Bible says is true. Because everything is different. The life you and I are supposed to embrace looks totally different from what you would think on the face of it. Watch this. Jesus gives an example of this in Mark chapter 10. One of my favorite uh, interactions he has with his disciples. He calls them all together. And he's like, you know, because they were getting a little prideful. There's a couple of them that come and ask very prideful questions about their title and where they are in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is like, let's set the record straight. So he gets them all together. He's like, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles... Lord it over them. In other words, in the world's view, the title is the most important thing. The the thrill of power is the most important thing. Getting yourself as high up as you can to control more people is the most important thing. There are people who thrive on that. Like they love exercising authority. Maybe they love just like being able to, to order people around. They love being the assistant to the regional manager. Come on, somebody. Like they just, they live for that. And he's saying, he's like, but watch this. They exercise authority over them. And watch this phrase, Jesus says, not so with you. Amen. Some of you need to like start saying that in your household, right? Like you start, just internalize this idea. Not so with you. 
not so with you. Some of you just need it like with your kids or with your family or honestly with our own self and our own disciplines. Be able to say this. All of this is happening, but not so with you. Everybody else is on that social media platform. Everybody else plays 75 sports. Everybody else has their schedule filled to the max. Everybody else does this or goes there or watches that or says these. Everybody else does all of that, but not so with you. You guys remember, like, you ever had your parents ever ask you, like, if everybody else was jumping off the bridge, would you jump off there? Anybody? That's the thought. Probably in my house is I was usually the one jumping from the bridge and encouraging others to also. That's not the point. Not so with you, it says. Not so. In other words, in other words, this idea of everybody else may be doing one thing. They may see that, go there, say that, involved in whatever it is, but not so with you. We need to internalize that. Just because they do, it does not mean... That's what we do. Jesus is like, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you become the servant. So the Gentiles lorded over them. The ones who are not following Christ, they're the ones who enjoy that authority and that power and that idea. The world will tell you, if you want to get ahead, you have to have the title. You have to have the money. You have to have the influence and the authority and the power. But Jesus says, not so with you. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, first become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must take the attitude of a slave And all throughout scripture, you will see this life we are called to live is different than what you would think. Leadership is different in the kingdom of God. Financial prosperity is wildly different in the kingdom of God. Loving someone is different in the kingdom of God. Because the world will tell you, you got to live for yourself. You got to be selfish and you got to get what's yours and you got to do it because nobody else is there. But the kingdom of God says, give yourself away. Live as a servant of all. Love others. Give your life away. And if you do that, if you elevate others over yourself, then you'll find life that's actually life. The kingdom of God's principles seems wildly counterintuitive to what the world would say to live. And so if we're going to live a life of faith, not just an ideology, we're going to have to have this faith that says, I believe that God exists, but I don't just believe that. I'm going to take it a step further and do what he says. I'm going to put it in place in my life. Watch this in 2 Timothy. It says that wouldn't always be the case. And so it talks about this generation. It says, mark this terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. I run out of breath just reading this, but every one of them seems familiar. Come on, somebody. Like it just, without self-control, brutal, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the generation we live in. And I'm not pointing fingers because I think most of them would point right back at myself. We have given in to so many things that the world says, this is how you should live. And these are the things that you should do. But he says, watch this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, they'll do some spiritual things, but it won't change who they actually are. It won't let it actually affect them. They'll do godly things as long as it benefits them. Let's step on some toes today. Come on, somebody. We'll do the things the Bible says as long as it gets us where we need to go. And it fits into whatever the end goal is that the world's already given us. But the Bible talks about... This idea that the perspective in our lifestyle, there's some things that need to change. That our belief in God would actually affect our lifestyle that we live. In fact, they did a poll, Barna study, it's kind of the Gallup poll for churches. They did a study on Americans just in general. And the study came back about 80%, a little over 80% of those who live in America said that they believe in some kind of higher power. About 60% of those polls said that they believe in the God of the Bible About 7% of those polled said that their belief in either one affected their day-to-day life. 
That is a tragedy. That we have a belief system. We have what we think is faith, but there is no action associated with it. And I'm not talking about like my life is different because I go to church and I change my schedule because of it. I'm talking about actual actions we take based on the belief that we say that we have. Because faith without action is dead, James teaches us. And so it's not actually faith unless there's a lifestyle attached to it. We live a life of faith. It's not we prayed one prayer one time and suddenly we became like faith giants for the rest of our life. No, it's a life of faith that we live. We'll talk about that in a moment. But jot it down if you're taking notes this way. Faith isn't faith until it turns from ideology to methodology. So faith isn't actually faith until it affects the things that we do. And I think that's as simple a way as I could possibly put it. That we have this belief system, but it has to actually change the things that we're doing. If you raise your kids like the world does, if you spend your money like the world does, if you talk like the world does, listen to what the world does, watch all the things the world does, you will get the same results that the world does. Because it's not actually changing our lives. It's not a life of faith that God has called us to. And so faith, by definition, again, jot it down if you're taking notes, is trust that produces action. We put our trust in something. We're saying, okay, this is what I believe, but I believe God enough that then I'm going to put some steps into place to live the life he's called us to live. It's trust that produces action. Now, the next phase of the conversation, and nobody actually says this. People will ask me what is faith, but nobody will actually say the next part. It's just my observation in my own life and in the conversations I have. If faith is trust that produces action, then why is it so easy to put our faith in everything except for God? Like, why, why is it so easy to trust in everything but God? If faith is actually producing action in our life, then all of us have faith in something. Because we, all of us are taking actions. You see the logical way. All of us have faith in something. And so, but it's so easy for us to put that faith in everything except for God. When we go back to our text, Hebrews 11, it kind of gives a little window into why. This is why I think it is. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence, and here's the part, of things not seen. So it's the evidence of things you can't actually see, which by definition just makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Can we be honest in church today? Like that just kind of, that kind of makes us feel a little bit like off about this. Because as humans, we love things that we can see. Things that we can touch, things that are in the tangible. We love to have things that we can rely on, that we actually can see. And so when we hear a verse like this, it makes us shift a little bit in our seat. Like, I don't know how comfortable I am with this concept. Even those of us that are Christ followers have to fight to continue to have this faith because so often we have to fight against the temptation to put our trust in earthly things. Even as Christians, God will take us through seasons or take us through times of difficulty and we'll come out of it and it is so easy to worship the blessing instead of the blesser. God will take us through it, but the things he uses to do that will become the object of our worship because we can see them. If we just, again, I just want to be honest, this, I think this is a conversation that we need to have as a church. When we are, we feel a little bit that tendency, and I promise it is there in every person, that tendency to put our trust and to put our reliance on the things we can actually see. And sometimes in the journey of faith, we start to trust about those because we can't quite understand the other part. We can't understand a God that I can't see. We can't understand it. We'll talk about it in a minute, but honestly, I think it's important That we don't understand everything about God. Because if he was small enough for me to understand, he would not be big enough to worship. If I had a God that fit in my brain, I promise you he would not be big enough to be the God of the universe. You would not want to worship a God that fits inside my tiny brain. And I would not want to worship a God that fits in yours. 
because he, I need him to be bigger than I am because he's got a different perspective on eternity. He has a big, different perspective on my life, has a different perspective on what the kingdom of God actually is. And so I need him to be bigger than I am. But he's so much bigger. And so he's got this different perspective. And so we fall into the trap of worshiping the things that we can't see. Isaiah 44, one of my favorite chapters, honestly, in the Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 44. Because he talks about, you can go read the whole chapter because honestly, it's hilarious. He talks about this guy. This guy who's out in the woods, this craftsman, and he cuts down a tree. And so he's got this block of wood. He's chosen this tree carefully. He cuts it down. And then of the block of wood that he has, he chops it in half. And the first half of this block of wood, he makes a fire and he cooks his food and he bakes his bread. Come on, you're with me so far, right? The other half of the block of wood, guess what Isaiah says he does? He whittles this thing into an idol. And then we'll pick up the story. He takes what's left. So the first half, baked his bread, ate his lunch, did what he needed to do. Then he takes what's left and he makes it into a god, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it, crying out, rescue me. You are my God. So you've got the image here, right? Isaiah. And your reaction to this would be exactly like scripture. Watch this. Such stupidity and ignorance. Come on, somebody. Like you're like, that is the dumbest he, he used, it wasn't like someone gave him the block of wood already whittled, which is dumb in itself. He, he's the one that cut it down. He's the one that cooked the food and he's the one that whittled the idol. And now he falls before it and he says, save me, rescue me. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. But watch, we would have that reaction of how dumb could that be? But watch, it says, but eyes are closed. That they're not able to see. We talked about that in the last series. Minds are shut and they cannot think. And the person that made the idol never stopped to reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Like he never stops to think, should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? And the story seems ridiculous to us. Like I would never do this. I would never whittle a God. I would never have those things. I'd never whittle an idol. It seems ridiculous. And so many of us are still willing to serve something just as temporal in our own life. We'll laugh at the guy with his block of wood in the woods. We laugh at him and what he's doing. And yet we never stop to think all these things that we accumulate. We will spend our lives and our energy and every last drop of blood trying to accumulate the title or the finance or the car or the house or the promise of something more. We will use every last thing and never stop to think, should I really bow down to a car? Like, should I really bow down to a gated community? Should I really bow down to an investment plan? Is that really where my hope is? Should I really rely on that as the savior of my life? And we will not say it like this guy, but every action we take says, this is my God. And we never stop to think like we chopped the tree down in the forest. We used half of it to bake our bread and to make our meal. And then we whittled the other half. And we bowed down before it. We never stopped to think, is it really something I should live my life for? And then watch how it ends. It says, the poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask. And I think sometimes we get caught in that. We have lived so long putting so much stock in it that we cannot bring ourselves to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hands a lie? And as I don't know where you are in your journey, but I would just say, this is a moment. Maybe there's a brief second of clarity. 
And all of us need to have one where maybe we look at what we're holding so tightly in our hands and we ask ourselves the question that we just can't seem to ask any other time. But maybe right now, just a moment of clarity, is this thing that I'm holding a lie? Is this thing that I am trading my life away for a lie? And he says, we put our trust in things that are so temporal. If we took a step back, we'd realize we're putting our trust in things that can't save us at all. They can't help us at all. It's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He's explaining this thought, this idea. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Because listen, that is the tendency. You're not like the odd man out just because you trust things you can see more than the ones you can't. That is the tendency. That's where we tend to go. He says, we don't put our trust in what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary. That's the things of this way. It's going to pass away. It's the lie that we put our trust in. But what is unseen, that is God. That is the eternal That is the eternal. What is unseen. So we put our trust and we fix our eyes on what is unseen. And at the end of the day, though, put it down if you're taking notes. We wrestle with this because faith is trusting in something that's unseen. The Bible talks about this. There's not an easy way around that. It is trusting in something. That is what faith is. A life that produces action, trusting. And it's difficult to take that. It's a challenge. So it leads us then to our next question. If this is, this is what I'm supposed to believe in, this is what I'm putting my faith in, then how do I build it? Like, help me build this thing to get more faith. Because I'm, I'm right there. I'm loving everything so far. I want to trust. I want to do that. But how do I build my faith? Well, back to our text, Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Because faith, I believe, is a spiritual muscle. Like the actual concept of faith, it's something that requires exercise in order to build. This is not like a one-time sermon and you have built faith. Listen, if you've ever done any kind of exercise, like you can get, it's February now, most of you have canceled your gym memberships, but if you kept it up, come on somebody, if you actually kept that thing, if you've ever exercised or you have really gone into it to keep your body in shape, and you get a, a subscription to Planet Fitness or La Fitness or whatever it is, you got your, you got your, your thing, you can't go there January 1st. And hop on the treadmill for five minutes and jump off, get in your car and be like, bam, I did it. 20 years of fitness. I've done, I was there one time. I got on there. That's it. That's all I need. My body's ready. You can't do that. No, you have to go back day after day. Some of you are like, he's, he's making fun of me. You have to go back week after week and you have to put in the work. You have to exercise different core groups and all those things, aerobic, anaerobic. You got to get on different machines. You got to do all of these things because you want a goal. You have a hope of what your life could look like. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Same thing with faith. You have to begin to exercise. You can't say a prayer one day, go out and decide, okay, now I, my entire life is a life of faith. You got it day after day. It's living the life God has called us to do. It's the tangible representation, the actions you take, the decisions that you make, the lifestyle that you live is the tangible substance of the faith that you have. You see how it's saying it's the substance of the thing, that faith you put in the unseen, the actions that are tied to that trust. That's the tangible substance of what we are hoping for. You have an action. You have a hope. You have an eternal vision of what life could be. And even on this earth, you read scripture and you see the promises God has for your life. That a life of faith, that there's victory and there's freedom and there's peace and there's joy. And so a life of faith is a life of looking forward. It's a life of looking at what we are hoping and the actions we take are the tangible expressions of the faith that we profess. This is what we have in our lives. No faith is just comes one day, one thing, one time on the treadmill. And now I've got faith, all that I need. We find all of these promises that God has. 
It's the physical, tangible, your actions based on that trust is what is building a life of faith. We had an opportunity um, last month. Well, I guess it's December now. All the months run together for me. But in December, we had a chance just to send a large portion uh, of the legacy offering down to the church in Cuba. And now if you've had a chance, and Carrie has led so many teams these last couple of years down to Cuba to go and see the church that we support there in Havana. And we've talked about it to you guys, but in case you don't know, that church, Nueva Vida, on the north side, it's on the coastline, this incredible work of God. Hundreds and thousands of people that are coming to worship and coming to lift up their praise happening on the north coast. Nothing like it in the whole world. But 10 years ago, if I can just bring you back a little bit, the first team we had down there that stood in that yard where there was no church and there was no move of God in that moment. There was no thing happening except just in small Bible studies that were happening in the neighborhood. And talked to Pastor Lyon and there was a tree and there was grass and there was like a little house right where the church is right now. That's all there was. Now, God didn't come to him and be like, hey, how about a vision of hundreds of thousands of people and Church plants all over the city and all these things. How about that happens? And then you're on your own. Good luck. Hope it happens. No, it happened because he was faithful to start a Bible study underneath that tree. And then a couple of months later, he decided, okay, we got to get some tin because we can't meet during the daytime. The sun's too hot. So let's just kind of have a covering. And then like a couple of years later, say, hey, we got to dig some new bathrooms because we need more people to come. Come on, somebody. That's the, that's the practical side of church. We got to have enough toilets for all these people to come worship. We had to have. And then a few months later, hey, how about we just kind of change this where we can meet in the house and in the tent? And how about this? And then years later, you see the life of faith. Life of faith is a journey of belief in every step of the way. The actions that we take. Are what are building our faith. That 10 years later you can go with the team this year. And see what God is doing. It's the actions we take. To live out the ideology that we say we believe. They're married together. You see this, this thought. That the actions you're taking are the tangible. Representation of the faith that we profess. You got to walk the road of faith. So faith is built. Jot it down if you're taking notes through practice. If you want to live a life of faith, we have a target that we're hoping for. We continue to believe and see God's faithfulness and it's built step by step. Day by day, we build a life of faith. And so let's end this discussion then with maybe the most difficult part of it. Honestly, this is the part of it that most of you maybe have been thinking about since we started this message. That, hey, that's great. Some of you are like, man, I am fired up to go live a life of faith. I am there. I am. I'm going to put my trust in God. I want to see God move, see him open up opportunities. I want to see his blessings come to pass. And then some of you are sitting there thinking, but what about when things go south? Like, what about, like, some of you are thinking, this is great, Pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. This is encouraging. I'm going to live a life of faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry my actions with my faith, and I'm going to live this life. But what happens when tragedy strikes? What happens when it seems like our faith doesn't work? What happens when it feels like we're pulling as hard as we can, but we feel like God's not doing his part? What happens when you have to bury a loved one? What happens when things don't work out the way that you saw? What happens if you have a vision from God and you're thinking this is how it should go and it doesn't? What happens when you pray for somebody and they don't get better? What happens when your marriage falls apart? What happens when these things come about? Because, Pastor, I was, I was living the life of faith and I went through this pain or this tragedy. I was doing what I knew to do and, and then this happens. What happens when you feel like, okay, God, you're not pulling your end of the bargain? And I've had conversations like that. 
And most people are kind about it because they think, well, I'm a pastor, so I don't want to have to tell them too many things. And I don't want to have to go to Pastor Ben and tell Most people are kind about it, but some people are actually real. Come on, somebody. And they ask the questions. And so I would take you first. Now, in the moment, I am... I give as much comfort and I believe that the God of comfort is available in all situations, that he walks with us through all of these things. But when we're going to have the conversation, the theological discussion, I would take you first to John chapter 10. And I reminded you about this in the last series, but just remind you again, there is a thief in this world. And his only mission is to kill, to steal and to destroy. That's his only thing that he wants to do. The only thing he wants to do that we live in these world. But God said, he said, but I have come that you would have life and have it to the fullest. Watch the contrast here that there is a thief. And we have to come to grips with the fact that we live in a broken world. We have to come to grips with the fact that we were the ones who broke it. But we live in a broken world. You know, when Jesus was about to enter his ministry, the devil comes and tempts him. If you ever read that uh, kind of dialogue in the Gospels where the devil comes and tempts him and he offers him a shortcut to his destiny. He said, Jesus, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all the authority, all of the rulers, all of the things. I'll give it all to you. I'll give you the world without a cross. And Jesus doesn't dispute his ability to give it. He doesn't dispute that. We have to come to grips with the fact we live in a broken world as believers. Scripture is clear. That the devil is blinding the minds of people. That he's working behind the scenes in sin and sickness to create chaos. The Bible says tragedy comes to us all. You look to the life of Job. A guy who followed after God with a pure heart. And all of his family died. And all of his business went bankrupt. And all of his life was ruined. You, you look at that. He didn't deserve that. So how do, you, how do you mesh that with an all-loving God? How do you bring the two together of this idea? Because we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world full of pain and sickness and problems. But the comfort we have is not in the first part of that verse. There is a thief, but that's not the comfort. Just the idea that we know that the thief's running around trying to kill and steal and destroy. No, Jesus said, I came to give life. And not just life, but life to the full. Life to the fullest. The comfort we have is that Christ came not just to give a little bit, but that he came to give life to the fullest. The comfort we have is not in the knowledge that there is sickness and pain, but in the knowledge that Christ has come to redeem and to rescue. That's the promise that we have. The life of faith that we live in. Romans chapter 8, if you are walking through an adversity right now, it says we know that in all things, and I think we skip that and we say, well, it must be in good things. No, in all things, even the bad things. Even in the things that we don't understand, even in the things where we can't even see above the wave that is crashing down, even in the bad and in, in the good. It says that God works for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. Look, I can't pretend to have all of the answers. I've got some people I know who can and that's great for them. It might work out. I can't pretend to know why. You walk through something. I can't pretend to know why you had to endure whatever it was or maybe what it is you are in right now. I can't understand the pain and the tragedy that you've had in your life. But here's what I do know. God is working it together for the good. And if it's not good, then God's not finished because he still has a plan for this life. He still has a plan over you and for your life. He is working things together for the good. And so we hold fast to the promise that Christ came to bring life, that he came to redeem and to rescue us. We don't hold fast to the promise that we would understand everything. Listen, God has not called me to understand. He's called me to trust. 
And I might not understand everything on this side of the cross or this side of eternity. I might not understand everything on this side. I might not see everything about what is it, but I have placed my trust and the implication that my actions would then follow it is the life of faith. Because faith is not understanding everything. Faith is trusting. Faith is placing our trust in him that he would redeem, that he would rescue That he would work all things together for the good because God is bigger. It's why I need him to be bigger than I am. The perspective that he has is not just the life of Ben. If God's perspective was just when I was born and when I die, I promise you, he would not not be a God worthy of worship. But the fact he has an eternal perspective, the fact that he is working things together for the good, the fact that our eternity is secure and that he came himself to rescue us, that is life to the full. That God has called us. So what do we do in the meantime when life is confusing and it feels frustrating? What do we do in the meantime when things don't make sense? Do we stop praying for miracles or do we stop trusting in God? Do we stop fighting for our marriage or for our children? No, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, the chapter right after. It says we just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Not only the author, not only the pioneer, not only the one who gave us our faith, but watch this, in the middle of these tragedies, in the middle of this pain, in the middle of the life that we are living, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not because just he gave us our faith, but then in the middle of these things, he's the one who's perfecting it. He's the one that's perfecting our faith, because at the end of the day, faith isn't understanding, it's trusting. I told you, God didn't call me to understand everything. He didn't call me to figure everything out. You want to live a life of faith, holding your faith in the middle of chaos and adversity. You want to hold your faith when it feels like God is a million miles away. You fix your eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We hold fast to the promise that if it's not good, then God's not done because he still has a plan for your life. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. I just want to pray that God would give us a strength in the life that we're living. A confident hope that then we would live out our faith day to day, that we would take steps this week to put our trust in Him. Before I pray that though, I want to talk to some of you maybe that you're hearing this and you're like, that's great pastor, but I don't have a faith in Christ. In fact, I feel a little justified in what I do because I walk through something. Maybe a pain or an adversity, maybe a tragedy, whatever it was that you feel like, okay, I feel, I feel like I'm justified in where I am. I feel like God's a million miles away. And those things that you went through, listen to me, maybe they convinced you. That maybe, maybe they just convinced you in your mind that God isn't real. Or maybe if he is, then there's no way he could possibly love you. And maybe the thing you walked through or the thoughts that you had or something that somebody said, you just convinced you the fact there's no way God could want you or God could love you because of that. Listen, first, if we're going to do this, you have to set the record straight. Listen to me very clearly. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And I don't care what somebody told you. I don't care if it was a leader or a coach or even a pastor. I don't care if they told you. Now, God couldn't love a person like you. Listen to me. The truth is God loves you more than you could imagine. And God wants you. He wants you. You didn't do too much. You didn't run too far. You're not so far gone that it couldn't possibly be for you. Everybody else, but not. Listen, he wants you. 
He knows you better than anybody else knows you. He knows more about you than you even know yourself. And he still wants you. The Bible says Jesus himself came to rescue us. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a prophet. He didn't send. He came himself. And he died on a cross so that we could have forgiveness for our sins. The Bible says Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later so that anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And so you have an opportunity. You say, I want to live a life of faith. I want to put my trust in him. I want him to make me a new person so that I can live out all of these things, this life that God has called me to live. I want to have that hope of eternity. I want to have that hope of freedom. I want to have that hope of redemption. You say, that's me. I want to have that hope. Right now you can make that decision. And we call it a prayer, but really it's a decision that you're making. And it is the honor of our church. It is why we do what we do so that we can pray this prayer. We can help you make this decision to follow Christ. It is our honor to do that with you. And so we pray this every Sunday, this moment right now. And I can give you the words and the church can pray it with you. But you have to decide. But if you say, that's me. You say, I want that faith. That's the hope. I want that faith. That's the substance. I want that faith. Right now, you can make the decision. Pray this with us. Come on, church. Nobody prays alone. But if that's you, say these words with us. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent of all my sin and all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for this journey of faith. God, I pray that as we go from this place, God, that we will take our ideology and we will put it into methodology. God, we will act out and we will put our actions where our trust is. And so, Father, I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We would keep our eyes fixed in the middle of our hope. And Lord, I pray right now for those that are walking through an adversity. Those that are walking through things that would test their faith or would take them to the limit. We thank you that you are a comfort, an ever-present help in time of need. And Lord, in the middle of these things, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We thank you for the comfort that you do bring. In the middle of a broken world, you walk with us. And God, when we get to the end, we will look back and see that you are with us every moment of the way. And until then, Lord... We hold fast to the promise that if it's not good, then you're not finished. And we believe that you are working out things for your kingdom and for your glory. We thank you that we are a part of it. So one more time, I pray for strength. I pray, God, give us the strength we need to live a life of faith. One more time, we say we love you. And we thank you for all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, can we give God praise? for what he's done today.